as we continue our study of Acts chapter 18, titled, Paul, a Jew or not, we can learn how to know when we must stand against religious tradition because it contradicts the gospel, and when we can enter into a tradition and use it to promote the gospel. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtson. When I moved to Texas, I never heard Texas history presented so many times. And for those of you that have kids in high school, you can even start them in grammar school. I'm going to give you something that you never expected to get Sunday morning. If you want your kids to pass Texas history, this is the book they need to master. And this, a little bit of sugar makes the minutes and go by. This is James Mishner's book on Texas, okay? My oldest son, Jonathan, actually read through this and went up way up to Denton. He, he won a UIL contest, and you moms and dads need to listen really hard because college is getting more and more expensive. Jonathan actually devoured this book, went up and took a test. He got money every single semester at UT down in Austin because he knew Texas history, okay? So let's suppose that your assignment is that you need to learn Texas history, okay? So I'm going to ask Larry, one of my former students, come on up here, Larry, you. Yeah, come on up here. I caught you just like I did in class. Come on up here for a minute, okay? I want you to learn Texas history, okay? So just like you were at Navarro, and here's Michener's book on Texas, okay? Every morning, he's going to study Michener's book on Texas, okay? So let's suppose, take the book. Every morning, get up. I want you just to flip through there. Just flip anywhere. That's good, good. Okay, now pick out... Why don't you just read about three lines right there? Can you see it all right? You need your glasses? I'll read it for you. Okay. <laughs> a Disto Island was a low-lying paradise formed in the Atlantic Ocean by silt brought down to the Adisto River, a meandering stream that wound its way from the higher lands of South Carolina, an irregular pentagon about 10 miles long on the ocean side. The island's highest elevation was six feet. And its dominant physical characteristic, large groves of splendid oak trees, some deciduous, but most live, which were decorated with magnificent pendants of Spanish moss. Okay? You got it? No. Okay. <laughs> so the next day, the next day, we decide we're going to read from the beginning a little bit. But this was not enough for Benita, because she, better than either of the brothers, thought she knew the cause of Damien's malaise. He sees his life running out, and without a wife or children to represent him, when he's gone, he fears it might have been in vain. So she began to tick off his particular achievements. You built the irrigation systems when the Mission Espada needed an aqueduct for its water supply. You showed them how to build one. Stopping, she formed an arch with her fingers and said, building an arch that will stand in something, believe me. Okay? So your approach to study is this. Now, this is what I want you to know, okay? We could read that little bit. And what I could teach you now is from Texas, I could teach you about the importance of Mexican culture in Texas history, about Esposito. I could also teach any of you water engineers. I could do a six-week series now on irrigation canals that saved and made Texas have water supplies, okay? Didn't we just read about a little bit of Mexican culture in Texas? Didn't we just read about irrigation canals? I could also teach you about the importance of the older generation making sure that the younger generation honors the older generation that made it possible for them to have water. I could give a whole series of talks on that, okay? Everybody understand where I'm going with that? Okay. Now, how many of you think 
that you'll understand that you'll be able to pass a test on Texas history from Mishner's book, Taking That Approach. Would Jonathan have gotten a UIL scholarship doing that? Okay, then why do you study the Bible like that? That's what I want to tell you about this morning. Go ahead, you can sit down. Thanks, and I hope your cell phone was all right. <laughs> Mary and I, this is one of the core values that we have. Because I want you, as you grow older, to know not Texas history. You don't need to know Texas history. But this, if the, I'm sorry for Texas history, okay. <clears throat> this book right here, see it's about the same size? But a lot of you have studied this Bible from the time you were just little kids. You still have very little idea of what it's about. And the reason that's so is because you flip through and you read a few verses. And I want to tell you something. This is such a powerful book that God's Holy Spirit really will speak to you. But you're not going to ever know God's story. One thing that's happening among the younger generation, if you go down deep in the Bible, it's boring. People that tell me that, you don't know the Bible. This is a story about murderers, whores, incest, destruction of the whole earth, predictions of great crises. This God's story is better than any story that I've ever gone to the movies to see. It's better than any story that I've ever heard anyone make up. I want to encourage you, because I had one of my really close brothers that had been in our church for a while, for about an hour, he fed back to me the redemptive story of the Bible, and he knew it. And that's what I covet for every single one of you. I don't want any one of you to get to be my age and you have no idea what this book is about. You say, Dave, well, how do I do that? And this is really important because a lot of you have been raised on preaching. I know this is true because I teach students. And one of the things I tell them consistently at Dallas Seminary, a lot of students, after they give their message, I say, that was really a good message. It just doesn't have anything to do with the passage of Scripture that you were supposed to be teaching. And a lot of you have been raised on preaching where preachers give you three points or seven points, they alliterate it, that means they have the same alphabetical listing, and they go from this verse to that verse to that verse and that verse. But you'll never really understand God's Word unless you really start, like the reason what we're going to do this morning, we've been studying the book of Acts, and I want you to realize this needs to be the core of how you read the Bible. You study the Bible. And I'm going to illustrate why that's so. You need, if you're understanding the book of Acts, you need to start reading in Acts chapter 1, and you need to read to the end of the book. That's what you need to do in Mishner's book. You can't just take a few sentences here and a few sentences there. You'll make up a great story. It just won't have anything to do with the story that Mishner's telling, and it won't have anything to do with the story that God is telling. And I want to illustrate that to you, because this morning I'm going to talk to you about something I would never come up with as a topic to teach you about, because it's complicated. Almost all of you are being taught, we need to teach you like you're sixth graders, and we need to make everything about 30 seconds of sound bites, and that's all you can take. Is that true? Because I'm going to talk to you in the next few minutes about something that's a little bit complicated. You know what it is? It's religious tradition. How do you know... How do you know when it's just religious tradition and it's okay to participate in it? Like burning candles, singing hymns, singing praise choruses, using guitars, using organs, 
being circumcised, not being circumcised, eating kosher food, not eating kosher food. How do you know when it's just religious tradition and when the gospel's at stake? Now, this is a really big issue in our church. One of the big tensions in our church is over culture. Okay? We just sang how great they were. That's one of the great hymns of the faith. Okay? If I have a bunch of 18-year-olds and I use a big pipe organ and sing how great thou art, how many of you think that 18-year-olds are going to love that and that we're going to have a cutting-edge youth group that really reaches, especially unbelieving teenagers for Jesus? I'm using that because you're all involved in it, okay? Culture, culture is the kind of music you like, okay? For example, the cowboy church has taken off in Ellis County. You say, why did that happen? Because they understood cowboy Texas culture. They knew there was a ton of folks that would love to wear cowboy hats, would love to wear boots, would love to sing Roy Rogers' tune. Not tune, but his tune. (laughs) Happy trails to you. And be sure you get that. It's not happy trails. It's happy trails. Everybody got that? You listen. I sat in his lap. I know. And then believers, what they do is they fight over that. Is it okay to wear cowboy hats in the morning or not? If you don't like cowboy hats, then you're going to be at Midlothian Bible Church. If you like cowboy hats, all of those things are culture. Everybody angry with me yet? Or you feel anything in here? Because culture is what you, you just breathe it, okay? And I want you to know that Paul culturally was Jewish. Paul was born a Jew. He was circumcised the eighth day. He ate kosher food all of his life. Most of you haven't even met that many Jews, but you've often heard me share, hey, I was raised with this, so I know, like, my Jewish friends really knew what Paul was. And when I went over to their house, if they were really an Orthodox Jew, they had to eat certain kinds of foods, okay? Paul culturally was Jewish all of his life. In fact, we're going to find that out today. And Dr. Luke, in the book of Acts, has been teaching us about how do you separate culture from the gospel? How do you know when this is something that is just a matter of taste? For example, like the way that I'm dressed right now is kind of preppy this morning, only it's a weird mixture because I wore cowboy boots too. And most of the churches, the older ones that are here that you were raised with, If I dressed like this at First Baptist, Midlothian, back in 1965, what would have happened to me as a preacher? You see, Dave Lowry and I came here. We sat on stools. I played the guitar. We wore open shirts. Remember that? The same thing is happening now in our culture. The younger generation has upped the sound a little bit, upped the tempo a little bit. And now we debate. We argue. That's all culture. Cultures all argue about that. How do you know when it's the tradition and the culture? And one thing that we're trying to do is we're trying to use culture. So like this morning, even in the music, we, and we do need to up the tempo of the hymn. See, that's the debate you have. Like a lot of you have been sharing with me, hey, the, the, it's, when we do a hymn, it's like a dirge. Well, a younger person feels like it's supposed to be a dirge because that's what my old parents listen to. And they're kind of, they're slower. If you're a younger person when you say that, You demean the older person. Because as an older person, like, I don't want it to be slow and quiet. Any of you older people join me in that? I want to sing hymns like it's a march. What's been happening in our church? We're fighting over culture, over ages, over dress, 
over style the music, and we're making some headway on this, and the passage today is going to help us understand that. You argue fiercely about your culture, but you need to separate it from the gospel. You see, culture is like language. This even relates, what I'm going to talk about in the next few minutes is going to relate to missions. Like in the early 1900s, all the Englishmen, there was a great movement of the Spirit, just like it's taking place in our church, and a bunch of Englishmen went to, to China. Hudson Taylor was one of them. He went to China, and they wanted to reach China. There's millions upon millions of people. So you know what the Englishmen did when they went to China? How many of you men in this room like your hair slipped back with it mostly cut but with a little pigtail in the back? And that's what you're going to wear next Sunday morning. Okay, how many of you like long kimono silk-like garments as a man? How many of you think that's really the way men should dress? None of you do. And either did the British missionaries that went to China. So you know what they did? They went to China, and they all huddled together in their culture, and they wore English clothes, and they built Anglican, English kind of buildings. How many Chinese do you think they reached? In fact, you know one of the hardest things in both Africa and China to try to get through to the gospel is both native Chinese and native Africans. They connect us as white Caucasian missionaries with colonialism, which is not a good thing. It exploited those countries. And so they don't hear Jesus. They hear European society, American society. That's why what I'm teaching you isn't just a little thing. You see, if we're going to reach our culture, like we want our young people and our adults, we want older folks, we want everybody to be going to places like Hungary, to be going to places like Albania. Right now, we've got an incredible movement of the Spirit in Albania that you all have been very much a part of. And we want to be going to Africa. I'm going to be going to Korea in the spring to teach at a school there in Korea. We want you to be able to go cross-culturally. I want you to realize that you have to think about going cross-culturally within the American culture. Me in my 60s, I need to go and be with teenagers. And I need to spend some time with them and listen to them and share with them, okay? If you're a teenager, this is the other thing. And here's an idea about how you work cross-culturally. You have teenagers that learn how to sing with great power, how great thou art, and they come to first service and they sing that. See, what we've been doing, we've been dividing from each other. I want all of you this morning, because of what I'm teaching you about the gospel, which is focused on your love for one another. It's focused on your commitment to one another. It's not focused on you. It's focused on the family. And this is really serious. If you're 70 years of age and all you do is hang out with 70-year-olds, now there's some of you that are 90 that still drive really, really well, but the truth of the matter is if all you do is hang out with 70-year-olds, you'll have a nice, homogeneous, united group, but when you need to go to the hospital in an emergency late at night, there's going to be nobody to take you. Because you don't have any 25-year-old eyes that love you, that would get up in the middle of the night. And as a pastor teacher, I care enough for you. I don't want you to do that. The whole American culture is dividing. Young people just get with young people. 
Single people just get with single people. We have a special age from 18 to 35. They are the single, unattached, young American adults. They do their thing. Then you have, I would consider them now middle age, like 35 to 50 or so. They're the family dwellers. They do their thing. Then you have us retired folks, you know, the AARP, whatever it is, folks. And everybody's in there, have their own little housing developments. They have their own little communities. They even have their own little church groups. Now, I want you to understand that this part of that is just cultural, but I want you to get a bigger vision. In order to do that, you need to open up to Acts chapter 18 because the Apostle Paul, better than probably anybody in the first century, understood the difference between culture and the gospel. And I would never speak to you about this because this is complicated because look what Paul does in Acts chapter 18. In our previous lessons, we've learned that the Apostle Paul shook the dust. He went into a Jewish synagogue and he tried to reach them with the gospel. They wouldn't listen. So he shook the dust off his clothes and told the Jews that he was going to speak to the Gentiles. So I would think the apostle Paul had jettisoned all of his kosher food laws. He would never worship again in the temple in Jerusalem, right? How many of you would think that? That's what you would think. That's why you need to read the story carefully. Because right in the next section, look at chapter 18, verse 18. It says, Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. What it's saying there is that Galileo, the Roman proconsul, had just opened the door. Paul was recognized as not being a person that was doing criminal things. He wasn't hurting people with misdemeanor crimes. So Paul was able to hang out in Corinth and keep talking to Jews and keep talking to Gentiles. So that's what it's saying there. Then he left the brothers. He realizes that it's time the Holy Spirit's moving his life. He leaves the brothers, and he sails for Syria. So he's on his way back to the east, and he's accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Remember, I taught you this is how the story fits together. For all of you involved in business, Priscilla and Aquila are your business evangelists. And they're really close associates. The Apostle Paul, you say, Dave, how can I know that? Well, if you're just flipping through the book of Acts, you'll never know that the New Testament actually has a very well-developed, full story about Priscilla and Aquila that I'm not going to have time to teach you about today. But Priscilla and Aquila, when you get to heaven, are some of the most used people with the Apostle Paul. You need to get to know them. For some of you ladies that think, well, middle the Bible Church is so chauvinistic and it's so into male leadership, we need to learn about Priscilla and Aquila because Priscilla is always mentioned first. And she's always with her husband at his side in the Bible in the first century where there really was chauvinism in the Roman Empire. They threw little girls out in the street when they didn't want them. So don't turn away from God's word because God's word tells you a story where even in the first century, Priscilla and Aquila were a married couple that had incredible unity together and they were both made in the image of God and they used each other powerfully. That's what I want to understand. You'll never have that touch the way that the story is unfolding, and you're going to go ricocheting between traditional marriage and feministic marriage. You're going to go ricocheting all over. Whatever the culture does, you'll be about 20, minutes, 20 years behind, which is what evangelicals do. If you read God's story, you won't be behind anything. You're going to be in the flow of an incredible redemption. You're going to get to the end of your life, and you're going to, you're going to have maturity. You're going to live wisely. You're going to have entered into incredible redemption. And Priscilla and Aquila are an incredible couple in business that made tents with Paul. He says, before he sailed, like here's the hard part. Before he sailed for Antioch in Syria, he had his hair cut off at Sincrea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. So he's continuing his Jewish ministry after he took a Jewish vow. And when they asked him to spend more time with him, he declined. 
So if you think this story is just made up, whoever makes up a story about proclaiming the gospel where an evangelist has a whole group of people say, we want to hear more of you, and he says, no, I'm sorry, I have to leave. An evangelist would never make up that kind of a story. It's impossible. I was raised with one of them. My dad would never tell you that story. So I know this is historical. Paul really did need to get to the east. And it was so important to him that even though the Holy Spirit was really working, by the way, this is the way the story works. Where are you? You're in Ephesus. Where are you in Ephesus? You're in a Jewish synagogue. All of you do this in the movies, only you don't even realize it. You all do it when you read a book. Dr. Luke just foreshadowed a whole discussion he's going to have about the founding of the church in Ephesus. And most of you have studied the Bible for years, and because you don't study through the book of Acts carefully, in its sequence, you don't let Dr. Luke set up the story for you. He just told you, hey, it it raises tension. When the text tells you that Paul had a wide open door in Ephesus and they're begging him to stay and he says that he's not going to stay and he says, I'm going to come back. If somebody did that in the movies, what would your mind register? What's going to happen about 20 minutes farther in the movie? Tell me. They're going to come back. That's what makes the story satisfying. Only God does this in real living color. And I want you to learn to do that. It'll make the Bible come alive to you. Dr. Luke just told you we're going to have a whole section about the founding of the church in Ephesus, some incredible story. It's going to end with a riot, so I'll whet your appetite. It's going to end up where Paul almost gets killed and the whole city riots. So it's really an exciting story. But we just had a little setup for it. Then he says this. When they asked him to spend more time, he declined, but as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. Important statement for all of us, if it's God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus, and when he landed at Caesarea, he went up. That would be, he went up to the church of Jerusalem, because in the book of Acts, whenever you go up, you're going up to Jerusalem. Good Jewish idea. He greeted the church there, then he went down to Antioch, which meant he went north. And he went to the church where he started. Now we're completing the second missionary journey. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there, and he traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And Dr. Luke leaves Paul traveling through what's now modern-day Turkey, and he's on his way. Where do you think Paul is headed? Ephesus which is where he just told you, okay? Now, I want to pick up, I want to show you something, how you need to put this together, how you understand this story. What's this vow that he made in Sancria, okay? If you're a Jew, one of the vows that you can make, and this is religious tradition, okay? I want to show you how this story goes together. Religious tradition. If you're Jewish and you really want to express praise to God, Like in this case, maybe we can ask Paul when we get to heaven. Maybe Paul says, I just want to thank God for the incredible work we had in Corinth, for the way you blessed, the way you founded the church. So in order to express his praise to God as a good Jew, he grows his hair long, much to the consternation. I was raised where if you grew your hair long, you were a hippie, and you were going to hell. And that shows you that's culture. You understand what I'm just saying? When I was a kid... And all the hippies grew their hair long. Some of you remember that, okay? We were taught, well, Absalom grew his hair long, and he ended up hung in a tree. And if you grow your hair long, you'll end up hung in a tree too. Is that an accurate use of the story? Is that really what the writer of 2 Samuel had in mind? And that's the way that you've been taught. By the way, every cult does that. Every cult knows three or four verses at a pop. 
Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism is a cult. Doesn't mean who you vote for, but just don't Christianize. They don't believe Jesus is fully divine. Are there Mormons that are moving towards that? Yes. But traditionally, they don't understand that you're saved by grace alone through faith in the divine, omnipotent, omniscient, incredible Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. A Mormon doesn't believe that. So don't pretend that they do. You see, they will have they arrive at that because they take a few verses like John 1.1 and they figure out a way not to teach the divinity of Christ. They have no idea what Jesus is doing in John 20. My belief in the divinity of Christ isn't just determined by one little verse in John 1.1. It's determined by the flow of the argument in the book of John. And that's what I want to teach you. Dr. Luke has been teaching us about cultural religion and the power of it. He's also been teaching us about the gospel of grace. You say, well, Dave, what has he told us? Well, in Acts chapter 1, I'll show you how you put this story together. Jesus, before he went to heaven, said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then onto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, if your commission is to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth and you're Jewish, what do you think is probably going to happen as the story unfolds? As a Jew, you're going to have to reach who? Everybody tell me. Tell me real loud. As a Jew, if you're going to reach the uttermost part of the earth, you're going to have to reach more than... That's what I want all of your passion to be. Jesus said, I want you to go make disciples of every people group. He didn't just say, I want you to reach your little group. He wants us to go across cultural barriers. How are you going across cultural barriers? The book of Acts started out saying, hey, you're all Jewish, but I'm going to bust you out of this. And I want you to reach. And so he tells stories. Remember when the gospel came to Samaria and we had the Holy Spirit powerfully reaching forth? We had a whole discussion. I'm reviewing a little bit. When Cornelius the Centurion, who was a God-fearer, who built the synagogue in Caesarea, the Holy Spirit gave a vision to him. And then he gave a vision to Peter. And we went through, those of you that have been with us all the way through the study of the book of Acts, we had all kinds of discussions on, does a Gentile like Cornelius need to be circumcised in order to get to heaven? What's the answer to that? Does Cornelius, a Gentile, need to get circumcised to get to heaven? Everybody tell me, yes or no? Tell me real loud. That's really important. Now, this is the hard part. But Paul is Jewish. He isn't Cornelius. So Paul is the one. In fact, if you read the book of Galatians, the whole book of Galatians, the point of the book is Cornelius doesn't have to be circumcised. And don't you let anyone tell you that in order to be a child of God that you need to do a religious initiation right. You hear what I just said? Because religion's really powerful. Traditions, that's what I was just sharing with you. I, I know some of you haven't heard anything I said because of what I said about the music. Because that's tradition. And, and I want you to know, as your pastor teacher, I want you to know, I totally understand how deeply we all feel about that. The truth of the matter is all of you feel really deeply about the music that was important to you when you came to know Jesus and the music that God used to build you. There's nothing wrong with that. We want to bless that, and we want to help each other. Let's, let's figure out ways to unify together and to share the distinctiveness as well as the unity. But how do you know if you're Paul, the fact that Paul says Cornelius doesn't need to be circumcised, does that mean that Paul can't take a Jewish vow? Yes or no? 
Now, those of you that are real black and white kind of people, this is where it gets messy. Because to you, if Paul says you don't have to become Jewish in order to get to heaven, then he should just forget all about his Jewishness. And he shouldn't take this out. In fact, when I was in high school, in the Christian high school, they taught us, Paul made a terrible mistake in this passage. And he took a Jewish vow, which was a Nazarite vow where he'd grow his hair long, and then he would cut it off when he completed his vow. Then 30 days later, he needed to take that hair, and he put it in an envelope or whatever, and he went to the temple in Jerusalem. He had a great big time of fellowship. They would sacrifice lambs, and they'd sacrifice goats, and then he would take the hair that he, that he cut off, and he'd throw it in the fire that was burning over the altar. Everybody got me? It's very Jewish. It's as Jewish as you can get. Was it wrong for Paul to do that? You say, well, how do I decide that? Well, you need to read the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts says in the flow of the story, and this is where it gets hard. Because in the flow of a story, you got to listen carefully to the story. So I have to ask myself, Dr. Luke, are you saying that what Paul did was wrong? And this gets tricky. Because Dr. Luke just set you up. I want to show you how the story goes on. He just has Paul take a little oath here, a little Nazarite vow, and he's on his way rushing to Jerusalem, and that's why he can't stay in Ephesus, okay? And then he circles him back, and he comes back, and has a marvelous ministry. So you have to ask yourself, is Dr. Luke saying it was a bad thing he did? Later on, at the end of the third missionary journey, the apostle Paul is going to come back to Jerusalem. And in the Jerusalem church, James is going to tell him, who's the Lord's half-brother, he's going to say, hey, Paul, a ton of the believing Jews, we've got thousands upon thousands of Jews, which you need to remember, Christianity around the mid-50s had lots of Jews in it. It's not Gentile. So James says, Paul, they hear that you were telling the Jews throughout the empire that they don't need to circumcise their kids, that they don't need to go to synagogue, that they don't need to keep the Mosaic law culturally. And James reminds them, hey, in the Jerusalem council, we decided if you're Gentile, you don't have to become Jewish. But we also said if you're Jewish, it's okay to be Jewish. And this is what I want you to understand. This is so hard. If you're a Texan, it's okay to be Texan. If you're a New Yorker, it's okay to be a New Yorker. If you're a Hungarian, it's okay to be a Hungarian. If you're black, it's okay to be a black. If you're Caucasian, it's okay to be Caucasian. If you're Asian, it's okay to be Asian. The Lord isn't bringing us into a great big melting pot where we all become blah. He's calling us into unity in diversity. And he's calling us to understand this is culture. This is where it makes it complicated. There's a feel in this. So you say, Dave, what's the feel? Well, the Apostle Paul in the story of Acts, when Timothy, Timothy came to know Jesus in the city of Lystra, and his grandmother worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When she heard the gospel, she responded to Jesus just like that. His grandmother did too. So Paul wants to take Timothy with them in an evangelistic enterprise where they start out in a Jewish synagogue, and then when they don't get reception there, they go out to Gentiles. Now, Timothy's mom is Jewish, so culturally, he's considered to be Jewish. So Paul had him circumcised. Why did Paul have him circumcised? For the gospel. Not because you need to be circumcised in order to be a child of God, 
But because every city they went in, Timothy could go with him into the synagogue. And he would have an open door. You see, the culture in that case would open the door for the gospel. Now, Titus is the same age, probably close to the same age as Timothy. Titus is not a Jew. He is a Gentile. So why didn't Paul have Titus circumcised? Because there the gospel was at stake. Do you understand? I want, I, I'm not asking you to understand it this morning, but I'm asking you to start reading the book of Acts and let the story, this is what I want, I want you to learn to do. This is what I'm learning to do. To be honest with you, I've devoted my life. Mary and I have given our lives to try and understand God's story. I'm serious. To start in Genesis and to end up in Revelation and to know the story. And there's been a ton of times where when I taught the story to an audience, I knew that it cut right across their religious tradition. And they wouldn't like it. And that'd probably be the last time I'd speak to that audience. We decided before Jonathan was born, you believe this book is the God-breathed word, don't you? Do you realize some of you like inner voices from the Spirit? If the inner voice you hear doesn't line up with God's voice in this word, you're going to end up in a cult. And it's going to destroy your life. That's why what I talked to you about is so important. Some of you need to make a commitment this morning. I haven't done this since I came to know Jesus, but I'm going to start doing it. Like, I'm going to take a book like Acts, and if we're studying it Sunday morning, I'm going to open up that book, And I'm going to spend some time. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to read the story from the beginning. And I'm going to let the Holy Spirit teach me what the important subjects are. I'm going to to let the Holy Spirit help me to understand the feel of this is just culture. This is the gospel at stake. And I'm going to let the Holy Spirit create in me as I get into the story. And I'm going to let that story transform me. I'm going to let that story give me new life. And I want to promise you, That's the most important decision that you can ever make. And I want that to be true for our younger pastors. I want that to be true for our younger generation. You're not going to meet Jesus by skipping all over the place with four points here and seven points here. You're going to end up, this is really serious. Mary and I just had one of our dear pastor friends. His youth pastor doesn't understand the Bible like that. So he read a few passages. He read some very powerful speakers. And he decided that the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus is the only way. That there's many ways. And that young people read in yellow, black, and white are all going to be okay someday. That that's the incredible good news. That all of you as human beings, every single one of you in this audience, are going to be okay someday. Is that the story God tells? Does Revelation end by saying, and I saw a new heaven and new earth, and every human being that ever lived enjoyed life and love, and everybody was there, and we all loved each other forever, somewhere over the rainbow. Is that what the Bible teaches? Your eternal destiny determines, is dependent upon you here in the store. I did see a new heaven and new earth. But outside... I saw those that didn't believe. I saw those that were immoral. 
I saw those that were cowardly and the fact that they just wouldn't let the power of Jesus really work in their life to cause them to come to know him. They, they were afraid. Some really serious things. That's why we need to start just like we would think it nutty to try to know Texas history by skipping all over missionaries' book. It's why I want our church family to be built on. We can have topical studies. If you really know the story of God's word, you can teach on topics. I did it this morning. I spoke on the topic of culture versus the gospel. But you got to really know the book of Acts to do that. And that's not just for Dallas-trained theologians. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you, and you can do it. I promise you. An older man told me when I was just a young man, Dave, there's 66 books in the Bible. Every one of them could stand on its own, but they all go together. So the dominant way you need to study it is book by book by book.